Now, we're going to jump ahead. This is terrible pedagogy, but we're going to do it. Uh, just jump ahead with me now, and we're now we're going to come to the period in which we are approaching Rome's arrival in Jerusalem. So we've gone through the Maccabean War. We've gone through the shock that Antiochus Epiphanes has created. Uh, the Maccabees are established in the land. They are beginning to rule. The hope that initially came with them is slowly waning as the Maccabean exercise of power is little different from the way in which Gentile kings had ruled uh, over Israel. And that ends up being a huge disappointment uh, to uh, to the hopes that perhaps now things were going to be put together. Remember that what made the Hasmonean rule controversial was the combining of the priesthood with the kingship into one office, something that was very much against the uh, alignment of the Torah and, and the early history of Israel in which you had a king who had political responsibility and the priesthood who had religious responsibility for the health of the country. This was done on arrangement temporarily as thanks to the Hasmoneans for the victory of the Maccabean War. And the Essenes didn't like this situation, and so they decided to take their home in the desert at Qumran and the Dead Sea Scroll finds that, are, were, that were discovered just slightly over 60 years ago. So famous and so reorienting to the study of the New Testament. We'll talk about that story later. But really, the discovery of these texts really put Jesus in his first century context more clearly for us and made us see kind of what the landscape was in the first century uh, and helped us to understand a lot of what's going on in the New Testament a lot better in terms of customs and that kind of thing because we found texts in caves like uh, the one over here off to the left, well, on, off to your, yeah, to the left on the slide. Okay, this is where we pick up the story uh, last time. John Hyrcanus, the first of the uh, rulers who came in after Israel's position as an independent nation had been solidly established, uh, finally established, permanently established after 128 you know, during the time of Antiochus VII. Hyrcanus comes on the scene and he conquers Samaria Idumea, which is the home of Antipater and Herods, and he used mercenaries as an expansionist king, impure armies, which left uh, the religious faithful uh, unhappy, and continues to tax the people. Uh, and this golden age hope, on the one hand, it begins with its expansion uh, and the desire to create a land of a scope like in the period of Solomon, but it also begins to collapse as the factions within Israel just kind of divide out naturally in reaction to what's going on. Hyrcanus establishes an alliance with Rome. One of the things that the Hasmoneans did is they were politically savvy. They knew that uh, if they really wanted to have power, Rome had to have their back. And uh, that's what they undertook to arrange. At this point, <clears throat> opponents uh, arise, including the Pharisees. There is a feast incident involving Hyrcanus in which uh, he basically very generously as a ruler says, tell me what you want or tell me what I need to do. And uh, one of the priests gets up and says, you know, you need to, you need to go back to the old arrangement of the, of the priest being one thing and the king being another <clears throat> and uh, let someone else be the priest 
just be the king because we hear that your, that your mother, uh, that, that basically you came from a Roman soldier, okay, which the, he didn't want to hear. And uh, tact was not exactly Eliezer's uh, top trait. And uh, this helped to produce a split between the Pharisees and the Hasmoneans. Uh, the complaint was is that the rule was not based on Torah. Uh, now, this relationship with the Pharisees will be renewed later uh, when, uh, when the Hasmonean ruler turns to his wife and says, you really need to reestablish a good relationship with the Pharisees simply for political reasons. The supporters of the Hasmoneans are the Sadducees, the nobility, the aristocracy, who support the status quo and are comfortable with this kind of shared arrangement. Um, there's imposed Jewish rule on others in Palestine. It's the Seleucids in reverse. And the kingship, as we said, is like that of the pagan rulers. Now here's what Josephus has to say about Hyrcanus. But when Hyrcanus had put an end to this sedition, after that he, and after that lived happily, he administered the government in the best manner for 31 years and then died, leaving behind him five sons. <clears throat> he was esteemed by God worthy of three, the three privileges, the government of his nation, the dignity of the high priesthood, and prophecy, for God was with him. By the way, that phrase, God being with someone, which you also see in the Old Testament and you see in the New Testament, you also see in this, uh, in, in this intermittent literature, this intertestamental literature, and enabled him to know futurities and to foretell this in particular, that as to his two eldest sons, he foretold they would not long continue in government of public affairs, whose unhappy catastrophe will be worth our description, that we may thence learn how very much they were inferior to their father's happiness. Now here's the story of the Pharisees and Hasmoneans' break, which I alluded to with regard to Eliezer. Here it is. However, this prosperous state of affairs moved the Jews to envy Hyrcanus, but they that were the worst opposed to him were the Pharisees who are already one of the sects of the Jews, as we have informed you already. These have so great a power over the multitude that when they say anything against the king or against the high priest, they are presently believed. That shows you the respect that the Pharisees had decades before we get to Jesus. We're, we're uh, more than a century before the time of Jesus. Now, Hyrcanus was a disciple of theirs and greatly beloved by them. And when he once invited them to a feast and entertained them very kindly, when he saw them in good humor, he began to say to them that they knew he was desirous to be a righteous man and to do all things whereby he might please God, which was the profession of the Pharisees also. You can see where this is going. Okay, I want to be righteous. Tell me what I need to do. However, he desired that if they observed him offending at any point and going out of the right way, they would call him back and correct him. On which occasion they attested to his being entirely virtuous, with which commendation he was well pleased, but still there was one of their guests there, whose name was Eliezer, a man of an ill temper, Josephus doesn't like him, and delighting in seditious practices. This man said, since you desire to know the truth, if you will be righteous and earnest, lay down the high priesthood and content yourself with the civil government of the people. And when he desired to know for what cause he ought to lay down the high priesthood, the others replied, we have heard it from old men that your mother had been captive under the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, he doesn't say it right straight out. It's more indirect. But the point here is implied that you're of mixed lineage. 
including pagan lineage. The story was false, and Hyrcanus was provoked against him, and all the Pharisees had a very great indignation against him. Now there was one Jonathan, a very great friend of Hyrcanus, but of the sect of the Sadducees, whose notions are quite contrary to those of the Pharisees. He told Hyrcanus that Eliezer had cast such a reproach on him, according to the common sentiments of all the Pharisees, and that this would be made manifest if he would but ask the question what punishment they thought this man deserved for that he might depend on it that the reproach was now laid on him with their approbation if they were for punishing him as the crime deserved. So the Pharisees made answer that he deserved stripes and bonds, but that it did not seem right to punish the reproaches with death. And indeed the Pharisees, even upon other occasions, are not apt to be severe in punishments. Interesting thought in light of what comes later with the Sadducees and the Pharisees in relationship to Jesus. At the gentle sentence, Hyrcanus was very angry and thought that this man reproached him by their approbation. It was this Jonathan who chiefly irritated him and influenced him so far that he made him leave the party of the Pharisees, abolish the decrees they had opposed on the people, and punish those who observed them. From the source arose that hatred which he and his sons met afterward from the multitude. But of these matters we shall speak hereafter. What I would now explain is this, that the Pharisees have delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers, which are not written in the law of Moses. And for that reason, it is that the Sadducees reject them and, that, and, and say that we are to esteem those observances to be obligatory, which are in the written word, but are not to observe what are derived from the tradition of our forefathers. And you begin to see the explanation of the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, both politically and religiously. And concerning these things, it is that great disputes and differences have arisen among them. While the Sadducees are able to persuade none but the rich, and if not the populace, uh, obsequious to them, there's a word I don't use every day, but the Pharisees have the multitude of their side, but about these two sects and that of the Essenes, I have treated accurately in the second book of Jewish affairs, which we call the war. So that's the description of the break that took place between, uh, between Hyrcanus and the Pharisees. Uh, Hyrcanus dies. Uh, Aristobulus I rules only for one year because he dies suddenly after he takes Galilee. Of course, Galilee is the key region in which Jesus ministers. And Alexander Janius comes to power. He's the third son. He's a thorough imperialist. Uh, the Hasmonean golden era begins to arrive. The kingdom is equal in size to Solomon's upon uh, Janaeus' accession to the throne. He's strictly secularist. He has no religious sensitivities whatsoever. He's ruthless in power. He is a raw power king, period. There's civil war during this period. In the year 94, you can see how long uh, Janaeus ruled from 103 to 76. Um, there's an incident involving 6,000 dying in the midst of this civil war that makes it it's significant enough that Josephus writes about it. There are 800 rebel leaders who are killed during this period. Perhaps they are Pharisees. We don't know that for sure, but that's what we think. And there are 50,000 who die over six years during this period. And remember that uh, um, the population in this area is, is about uh, probably around 2 million total, if, if, if that. So it's a large 
uh, it's a large portion of the entire population. Now, towards the end of his life, with the Pharisees as fierce opponents to the Hasmoneans, Alexander Janius gives his wife, Alexandra, advice as he's dying. And this is Alexander Janius' deathbed wish communicated to his wife, who is going to become queen. But when his queen saw that he was ready to die and had no longer any hopes of surviving, she came to him weeping and lamenting and bewailing herself and her sons on the desolate condition they should be left in and said to him, To whom do you thus leave me and my children who are destitute of all other supports? And this when you know how much ill will your nation bears you. But he gave her the following advice, that she need but follow what he would suggest to her in order to retain the kingdom securely with her children, that she should conceal his death from the soldiers till she, till she should have taken that place. After this, she should go in triumph as upon a victory to Jerusalem. That's with a procession. By the way, that procession, that triumphal entry, is part of the background of what happens when leaders claim cities and it's uh, a foil for the background of Jesus' triumphal entry uh, over a century later. And put some of her authority into the hands of the Pharisees. For that they would commend her for the honor she had done them and would reconcile the nation to her. For he told her that they had great authority among the Jews, both to do hurt to such they hated and to bring advantages to whom they were friendly disposed. For that they then believed, best of all, were believed, by, best of all, by the multitude when they speak any severe things against others, though it be only out of envy at them. And he said that it was by their means that he had incurred the displeasure of the nation, whom indeed he had injured. So he's basically saying, you have a chance to turn a fresh leaf when you come into rule. And when you turn that fresh leaf, be sure you turn to the Pharisees, because they can make life either easy or difficult for you. Do this, therefore, said he, when you come to Jerusalem, sending for the leading men among them, and show them my body, and with great appearance of sincerity, give them leave to use it as they themselves please, whether they will dishonor the dead body by refusing a burial, as having severely suffered by my means, or whether in their anger they will offer any other injury to that body. Promise them also that you will do nothing without them in the affairs of the kingdom. If you do but say this to them, I shall have the honor of a more glorious funeral from them, than you could have made for me. And when it is in their power to abuse my dead body, they will do it no injury at all, and you will rule in safety. So when he had given his wife this advice, he died after he had reigned 27 years and lived 50 years within one. And that's the end of Alexander Janaeus, who passes on to his wife, Alexandra, the advice of cooperate with the Pharisees, and you'll have their help along with the Sadducees, and you'll be in good shape. 